there was a lot of risk on the table. So he's come to me and he said, we're 30% down. We want to start to pull out. So he, he sells at a loss. So he, he cashes out at a loss. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Daryl, Tom. Daryl, are you ready to rock? Absolutely, Andrew. All right, let's do it. I'll tell the audience a bit about you. As a private wealth manager, Daryl, Tom, delivers personalized, comprehensive wealth management strategies and solutions to high net worth individuals. Previously, he was a private banker at DBS and ANZ Private Banks and an investment manager with HSBC Australia, providing investment portfolio construction across multi-asset classes, including unit trusts, ETFs, equities, global fixed income, and currencies. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, he knows them all. He provided investment guidance to relationship managers to meet the investment needs of their clients. Daryl has worked as a financial planner for AMP, which is Australia's largest wealth manager, and was also based in Tokyo, Japan, where he was a private wealth manager for a boutique wealth management firm, catering to high net worth expatriates specializing in wealth management and asset protection. Daryl's experience also includes business training and development for large multinationals such as Goldman Sachs, Pictet Asset Management, Baxter, Roche, and Microsoft. All right, Dale, take a minute and fill in a few tidbits about your life. Oh, well, Andrew, I guess I've been an expatriate, unlike, not unlike yourself, based here in Singapore, been here for six years, been in the Asia region for near on 20 plus years in various parts of the world. So yeah, love being, being an expatriate and enjoy what I do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I think we've got that in common, both of those things, being an expatriate and enjoying what we do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a little bit of a different format in this case. What I'm going to do is ask Daryl to tell us, not about his worst investment, but we are going to hear about his observation as a private wealth manager and an advisor to high net worth individuals. What is the number one mistake that he has seen. So, Daryl, take it away. Yeah, as being on the front line and talking with a lot of investors and people wanting to protect and grow their wealth for, for future generations, I come across a, a common theme across all of my clients, which I, I guess if you were to boil that down in, in, a, in a simple one, one sentence, it would be that clients are chasing the market as opposed to, or following the market, as opposed to following a strategy. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, investing is a very disciplined and patient game that we need to play. It's not, it's a bit like akin to the, the hare and the tortoise. And if you consider the tortoise being the, the slow, precise, disciplined, everyday, just doing what he needs to do, not being distracted, staying the course on his way. And then you've got the hare who's stopping every five minutes, talking to people, uh, you know, responding to different information in the market. Well, basically just being distracted. This is a common theme, uh, I think, across most of my clients. And as, as a private wealth manager, it's my job to sit back and, and try and steer them more onto the, the tortoise track as opposed to running with the hare. But in a nutshell, yeah, following the market and, and not, a, not, a, not a clear strategy would be the, the overarching theme. 
Mm. And we talked earlier about a specific story that you were, you were going to share, which would be interesting to help people visualize and to think, did I ever do that? Am I doing that? <laughs> or what do I do to prevent that? I guess as a prelude into going to that story, an analogy that I often use for clients to really sort of make this concept hit home is by asking a client to reflect on a time when they were, when they were stuck in traffic, for example, whether it be rush hour on the way to or from work, maybe trying to leave town during, during the Christmas holiday period and, and stuck in a long line of traffic. And, and you're sitting there in the hot sun trying to get where you're going, trying to get out of town. Um, or trying to get home or get to work and you're frustrated and then you're, you're, in, you're in the, say, the right lane, the left lane is, is whizzing past. There's, there's cars, you're stuck. They're whizzing past. A couple of cars go by and you start thinking, oh, I've got to get off this slow road and get, get over onto the, you know, I want to get where I'm going. So you, you wait for a break in the traffic, you pull out, you get a couple of, couple of car lengths in front, slows down, and then you're stuck. And then all of a sudden you look over to the right side and you've got the other lane start to, the lane that you're in, start to move forward. And you do that two or three times. And then had you actually stayed in your lane, and there's a good reason why that term stay in your lane is around, you would have got to your destination more often than not a lot sooner, but also a lot stress-free. When you phrase it like that to a client, I mean, we've all done that. Yeah, and I could imagine that there's some clients that think, I'm going to pull onto the side of the road where <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a free shot. And in Bangkok, they do that a lot on the, right. the brim, I think it's called. What's the side of the road? The, the shoulder, right? Shoulder, right. Yeah. Which is supposed to be for emergency vehicles or whatever, but you think, nah, I can shoot forward and just get through this. And then, of course, you do that and an emergency vehicle comes along and smashes you right from behind. That concept, I, I think, really hits home to a lot of people. Unfortunately, the way that the financial system operates and is structured, the way the media is also runs around marketing, you know, the financial services industry. Unfortunately, we, and I'll say we because I'm a part of that, and, and I'm, you are too, is that, you know, we don't do the client any favors with, with the way the media is saying this stock, you know, this is a hot buy. Or, uh, you know, coming up with some plausible reason as why the market's going up or going down, what you should buy, what you should sell. Because if it was, if it was just, oh, let's put together a strategically allocated all-weather portfolio and just let it run its course, I mean, that makes for pretty boring television. <laughs> you know, what would, what would they say every day, right? And on the flip side too, right, bankers most often are bankers, advisors are remunerated based on commission. They've got to make their, they've got to make their money. So, you know, they're not going to sit here and say, let's put a portfolio, portfolio together for you and come back and see me in six months or, or 12 months and we'll rebalance it a bit. But otherwise, you know, shut the TV off and, and just go about your life. That's not going to make the bank or, or, or the investment firms any money either. It's really, really a sad situation for, for, for the client you know, fee-for-service models and things like that are evolving. But clients, I think, are still struggling to, you know, fork over the cash on a, say, a 1% annual sort of management fee basis to do that, right? And then, then you say, okay, I'm going to charge you 1%, but you've got to also justify your existence, right? By 
giving market updates and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a vicious circle and it's, um, it's something that really is, it needs to be addressed, I think. Yeah, it reminds me of, I grew up in the 70s in northeastern Ohio near Cleveland. And um, in the 70s, you know, I was a kid. And what we did is we jumped on our bicycles and we rode down to the railroad tracks and we went out into the woods and we did all that. And if you had gone to my parents and say, look, you know, 30, 40 years, we're going to have this rectangular thing that we're going to give to all kids. And it's, they're never going to go out in the woods again. They're never going to go out riding their bicycles. They're just going to be like their, their heads are actually going to start falling forward <laughs> and their shoulders are going to start, you know, getting forward and they're going to watch these things all the time. Isn't that great? <laughs> so yes, uh, there's, it's just a distraction machine. It's a little bit like muscle and fitness and all the fitness things. It's like, there's really only one way to make muscle and that is to tear it down a bit and let it rebuild. And, but they've got to write something different every single time. All right, well, let's get into your, your story that we talked about. It's, it's interesting because this particular story is of a financial professional. So someone that should be knowing this. Well, we're not immune, Andrew. And yes, but this, this particular case, um, I was based in Tokyo, dealing with the expat community in Tokyo. And a lot of our clients were actually other financial professionals who were working in, in Tokyo as well. And one of, and this particular case, there was a, there was a trader for, for a large multinational bank. We know the profile of a trader. They're always looking for the next you know, the next trade, buying, selling, and very, very confident in their abilities. So, so our relationship was, I was more of a sounding board and the execution guy. He, he, was, he, he, was driving, he was driving the bus and I was sort of just helping him navigate. And he, he was coming to me with a lot of trade ideas. Um, you know, I, I spoke to the equity desk in our bank and these guys, they like this stock, you know, that stock. And so on and so forth. So he was uh, very active buying and selling and trading. A lot, lot of high risk sort of stuff. So a, a lot of growth bets, I guess you could say. So we're at the top of 08 where we're starting to see the market downturn. And if, if you've ever worked in a, an investment firm or, or a bank that distributes investment products, it's perpetual bliss. You know, the markets, you know, if it's a, if it's a dip, it's, a, it's an opportunity to buy. You know, if it's down, it's down because of this reason, but the upside is there and so on and so forth. So he really bought into that. And I guess he has to, right? Because he has to, you know, he's a trader as well. Then the, the market started to, to tip a bit further and a bit further. And then we're about 30, 30% down on his portfolio. And then given that the companies he was in, there was a lot of risk on the table. So he's, he's come to me and he said, oh, we're 30% down. We want to start to pull out. So he, he sells at a loss. So he, he cashes out at a loss. He's sitting on the sidelines. Yes, he missed, he missed a bit more of the downside. However, it shook him that much that when we started to see the market pick up, he was too nervous to step back in. But I mean, it was a, it was a large, it was a scary situation. But by the time he did get the confidence to start going back in, the market had gone back up and he, he missed all the upside. So mm. missed a little bit of downside, all the upside, and essentially also, from what I understand, lost a, a lot of money for, for the institution that he was working for as well during that period, which affected him a lot emotionally and psychologically. 
he was hit on the personal side, but on the career side as well, it, it was very, it was a very damaging, sobering experience for him. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're all about here at my worst investment ever is that there's an emotional and psychological aspect, mistakes that we make and worst investments that can sometimes be hard to recover from. All right, let's uh, now review. What lessons did you learn from this? I guess it was to be more proactive and more forceful with clients. He was a peer. He was a peer. So, you know, it, it, was, it was quite hard to force my opinion on this, on this guy because he came across as being uh, very sophisticated. He was a trader by profession. I never think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I felt that, well, if this guy is doing what he does, he's, uh, he's in a better position to know what he's doing than what I am. And really, and to be fair, I was, I was early in my financial career at that point in time. However, I, so at the point in time, I was more of a just sure, yeah, understood, I'll, I'll do that for you. And so for me now, it's um, given the, the, the journey that I've been on, yeah, that's, that's how I learned from that. Great. To, well, I learned from what I did wrong, for, first and foremost, and also to be more proactive in, in stopping people from making those same Got mistakes. It. Got it. And I think that's a core learning. Now I take away, I have a bunch of stuff that I take away from that. Let me just run through a few of them and then let's talk. The first one is distraction. Yeah, the world is full of distractions. And many years ago, I stopped receiving newspaper. I got rid of TV at home. I try not to open up the market, you know, because it's just, it's so distracting. But one of the things that's so fascinating is that I, you know, I'm sure you meet people and I meet people all the time that are very successful business people, either salaried people or entrepreneurs, they're not distracted at work. They couldn't achieve what they've achieved if they were just constantly bouncing from one thing to another. They're carefully allocating the resources of their company and they're achieving success from that. Why is it when they come into the financial world, they just bounce all around? You know, and, oh. and are there not distractions in business? Sure, there's distractions all over the place. But that's number one. The second thing is I really want to put into the show notes a link to a study that we did where we showed that markets almost always recover within one year, two years. Like what percent of times has the market recovered within three years type of thing? Mm -hmm. And I think the main message is that stocks don't always recover. Some can collapse and never come back but the market almost always recovers. And I want to prove that through some of the research that we've done. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. I was asked to advise a particular company and I went in to meet with the, the lead person. And in the first month that I worked with him, he yelled at me quite a bit. <laughs> and I wasn't used to kind of getting yelled at or scolded. But then I, I kind of realized that that was just his style. But one, at one point, after I kind of saw how everything worked, I, I sat down with them and I just said, look, my job is to advise you. If I'm giving you advice that you agree with or that you like, it, chances are I'm not really giving you valuable advice. I'm just repeating whatever it is that you're saying or that you already think is the right thing. So the only time that I truly probably bring value to, to you is when I bring you something that's new, that's different, that you may not agree with. And therefore, as a good advisor, I am going to tell you that, and you can get all mad all you want, but I'm not gonna let it stop me from giving you the advice that I want. 
the last thing I would take away from it is that everyone needs support. Financial professionals are no different. When times are tough, it's challenging decisions. We all need support. So don't think, and I just had someone say to me the other day, like, Andrew, in one of my courses about giving presentations, I said, you know, try to make it fun. Try to tell a story, bring out some emotion. And they're like, but I thought finance people just want numbers. I'm like, no, even finance people have feelings. Even finance people want to laugh. So the main thing is that everybody needs support. So those are some of my takeaways. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think a good example of that is, you know, when, when Tiger Woods was at the top of his game, you know, he, he, he still didn't stop seeing his coach. His coach was with him 24-7. So, yeah, um, I mean, I agree with what you're saying 100%. And, um, and I guess the, going back to your discussion around the three years recovery, and, and we, we've got similar yeah, evidence to suggest the same scenario. So in, in that sense, wouldn't it be best to be exposed to all sectors of the market so that you can ride that wave as, as opposed to, you know, being on in, in certain pockets where you can miss that whole wave completely. So that's what it, that's, it's coming back to very, very simple, simple, basic, you know, investing concepts that are dismissed or not really taken seriously because it, it's too easy. It's too simple. That cannot be how you make money. What? I, I, I invest in a diversified portfolio and let it sit there? Surely not. That, so there's all these fancy structured products that we can put together and do this and do that and hedge this and, you know, make markets, you know, when the market's down, we can profit from this and that. But so they get caught up in the hype, which is, you know, getting back to your question is why do they business people, like you said, they're, they're very focused in what they do, but when they come, comes to their finances they or the financial markets they, they bounce around um, mm-hmm. you're, you're on point 100 percent yeah I, I agree completely um, yeah and I would wrap up my thoughts on this by mentioning I, I wrote a book a while ago for my nieces who really have no interest in the stock market and did not study finance and, and yet they know that they have to build their wealth so the book's called how to start building your wealth investing in the stock market it's on Amazon and all that what I try to explain in that is just the idea of imagine you're walking around your neighborhood and you see a little restaurant and you walk past that and you see a little print shop down the street and you see a hairdresser. Imagine that you owned a little bit of each one of those shops all around your neighborhood. You just walk around and you see all these people working hard for you mm-hmm. and you own part of each of these little businesses. Now imagine that you could expand that into every little business in your city and imagine if you could expand that to every little business in your country and imagine if you could expand that into every little business in the world basically what i advise in that book with my nieces is just own one etf that owns eight thousand or so companies and that is your chance to be a business owner and get the benefits of that over a long period of time and think of it as strolling through your neighborhood, seeing all these people working so hard for you. (laughs) Great way to put it. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, I'm halfway through it. And that is um, in Singapore, uh, I'm getting a boat license to to drive a boat, a bit of recreational activity. Uh, It's very, very different here because it's the most busiest port in the world. So there's a lot of rules and regulations and things, but um, there's, there's three parts to it. 
two ways through. I've just got the final practical to do and I can go out on the water and have a bit of fun with the family. So that'd be lovely. Exciting. Well, you could have just come over to Thailand. We don't have as much rules on getting a boat license. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll keep you there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. That's exciting. Well, well, we'll hear more about that later. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of laws to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And if you've got a friend who has a story to tell, have them go to the website and leave their information there. It will go directly to me. And let's get them on the show. As we end, Daryl, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about losses, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Be disciplined, stay, uh, stay away from the hype, and just keep it simple and stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay in your lane. I'm thinking about the title for this is Don't Buy Into Perpetual Bliss. <laughs> the buzz. Anyways, all right, fantastic. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.